0: WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven I'm your host Paul Bass inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick Well Steve Winter is ready to help make New Haven tick He is the Alder-elect from the 21st Ward He's one of two independent candidates to win office this month to what is currently an all-Democratic Party Board of Alders There's some changes in store folks Steve is here in the WNHH studio to tell us what makes him tick, and what plans he has in store for his upcoming freshman year in office, and a special thanks to Yanley Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Steve Winter, welcome to the WNHH studio. Hey, good morning, Paul. How's it going, today? Thanks for having me on. The uh, first important question is, what are you doing for your birthday? Happy birthday. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm here on, on WNHH. Oh, what better way to <laughs> spend your birthday? And um, what's your, uh, what, what, how old are you today? I'm going to be 29 today. 29, right. Yeah. Anything else you're doing for your birthday?
1: I will be meeting with constituents and meeting with some other alders. Uh, so trying to, trying to get my feet wet.
0: No dessert anywhere? Glass of wine or anything with your wife later tonight? Uh, my wife has a potluck
1: plan. We love to potluck. So uh-huh. uh, I don't know what will be served, but hopefully someone will bring dessert. <laughs> someone <laughs> yeah, usually yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and if you had your favorite birthday dessert, what would it be?
1: Uh, well, my parents were in town uh, over the weekend and brought my favorite birthday dessert, which is chocolate mousse cake.
0: All right, there you yeah. go, chocolate mousse cake. So,
1: I got that out of the way. We've
0: now got the insight into New Haven's newest elected office. <laughs> Thanks for. I'm going to ask it to real close to, and it seriously happy birthday. Thank you. So, uh, what a what a gift you got on no, in November seventh. It was election day, and New Haven usually only Democrats win elected office. Uh, we uh, have 30 alders. They're all Democrats. We have a mayor who's been Democrat since 1951. Uh, since 1953, excuse me. Uh, we have senators, congressmen, all Democrats. But you ran as an independent in the general election, and you beat the Democratic candidate, and you be, you're going to become the alder. Why did you run as an independent?
1: Yeah, so I, I am a registered Democrat. Uh, by all accounts, very progressive. The things that I work on in my free time are have been you know, climate change, affordable housing, uh, cooperative community living. Uh, so these are things that are, are really important to me, and I think a lot of Democrats share those values as well. Uh, but I decided to run as an independent because I felt like that would be the best way to get to know the people in Ward 21 directly, uh, as many of them as possible, and also to represent them directly. Uh, so with now,
0: no... Isn't almost everyone a Democrat in Ward 21? How does the break down?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's like the rest of the city that there are many Democrats, uh, but there are also unaffiliated voters, and even the rare R next to someone's name. An R in 20, the- because
0: 21 is the, the extremes of New Haven, right? You got New Hallville, some mm-hmm. very low-income areas, Then you also have Prospect Hill, which is sort of like the Gold Coast, up, <laughs> directly up the hill. In yeah. The same area, it's really the two extremes of New Haven. Yeah. But those are the two Democratic extremes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's even a, a chunk of East Rock, including uh, St. Ronan... Which is uh, the richest area in town? Yeah, yeah, which is one of the really nicest streets in town. What was that like
0: campaigning when you go to places where people are really poor, and then you go to place go to million dollar mansions?
1: Uh, it's you know it's the city we live in, uh, and it's two different sides of the hill, but there are a lot of shared concerns, uh, particularly uh, the more mundane stuff like having safe streets, uh-huh. uh, feeling like you're safe walking and biking and driving in your neighborhood. Is something that literally every person, not every person, but at least a person on every block, whether it was, there's also a Dixwell part of the neighborhood as well. Really? Or part of the ward. Sounds
0: a little gerrymandered to me. It's, uh. That's right. you got the Florence Virtue Homes.
1: That's correct. All the way down to. I don't want to get
0: back to that because you talked about cooperative living.
1: Yeah. yeah, All the way down to uh, Dickerman Street. So it goes a little bit
0: past Florence Virtue. What a weird ward. Yeah. How far into Newhallville does it go?
1: Uh, it goes up to Sherman and West Hazel, and mm-hmm. then it cuts across uh, Hazel to Shelton, and then down over to Thompson. Cuts across Thompson to Winchester, and then down Winchester
0: to that's Division so crazy. and have, up over the. So hill. you have Winchester and Division, and you have the whole Sheffield Avenue up the hill there.
1: No, Sheffield's the other side of Winchester. Now
0: that's crazy. Yeah. So, so you're because you, you Prospect Hill is to the east of that whole Sheffield chunk of Newhallville. You're going around it and then under it, under the bottom of the hill, back toward downtown.
1: Yeah, it's it. Maybe the simplest shape is it's kind of like a horseshoe. Yeah, it's a horseshoe. Uh, so almost, someone was
0: trying to protect the seats from there. So do you go to the Hamden border? No. So
1: Delphine Clyburn <laughs> is to the north, okay. and so it it really is a piece of everything. It's do you have a Alberta's piece. Magnus, or is that Delphine? no? That's Ward nineteen. <laughs>
0: Okay. So the so idea is you got New Hallville and Prospect Hill. Now that it's almost all uh is the chunk of it the New Hallville Dixwell part not Prospect Hill? Is that the most of it?
1: Uh yeah. I'd say most of it is Dixwell New Hallville. Uh so
0: that's mostly African American. Yes. Uh, Prospect Hill is mostly white. Yes. You're white, your opponent was from that neighborhood, Rodney Williams, and he lost and he said the reason he lost was that the white people voted and the black people didn't. Was that true?
1: Uh, no, that's not true. Was it uh, even close to true? There were folks from, from both sides of the hill and folks on the hill. Uh, and Prospect Hill actually is the most. It's one of the most uh, densely Asian parts of the city. Not, mm-hmm. our, not our small slice of it. Mm-hmm. Our slice is almost entirely university buildings that don't vote. Mm-hmm. A handful of apartment complexes.
0: So uh, it sounds like numerically it couldn't have been possible that it was just a white turnout.
1: I yeah so I guess first thing I would say is I haven't yet gotten the voter participation data from the registrar's office so I wouldn't want to this is all speculation well, as far the campaign, as I'm concerned our but,
0: reporter Marquise Ricks went out with you and you spent endless hours in the black community yeah campaigning
1: yeah and I I know for a fact that there were folks who were uh, black white Latino you name it who I know came to me afterwards and said that they voted for me. Well, actually you were
0: taken around the neighborhood by prominent African Americans who supported your campaign, like Brenda Foskey Hill, who's the new, uh, who was the former Alder. So what was that like? How did you feel as like the white guy who didn't grow up there going to that neighborhood running against the black guy? Did you feel any kind of racial issue there? I think a lot of folks rightly so
1: asked, you know, I said, I'm running for Alder. And they said in this ward for this neighborhood. (laughs) And I think they have every right to say that, you know, uh, I don't, I don't disagree with that. There's a, a part of our citizenship that comes from our attachment to
0: place. And, uh, and place is tied up in race in a segregated city. Absolutely.
1: Uh, and there's a, a real question about how we can view the different issues that face different parts of the ward and how far our ability to empathize with folks who have had different experiences are. That's just part of being human. Yeah. So, of course, I understand that. But... I spent three months knocking on doors on every street in the ward and had a lot of really long conversations with folks as I tried to get to know what was on their minds. And so after a while, I started to feel pretty, pretty familiar with some of the real issues facing the ward and then facing even particular blocks. So I
0: guess what I always feel like is, yeah, those big issues really matter a lot. they met they're based in reality, but what matters more is that people are people. If you show up and you talk and you're part of the game, we're all in it together, that, you can I build think, trust.
1: That, I think, is the bigger thing, is the trust and familiarity that comes with knocking on someone's door and showing up. You know, it's like the Woody
0: Allen quote, you know, 80% of life is I thought it was like 95% it's, it's more is showing up, yeah. yeah. But
1: uh, I, think the, I agree yeah, the, with that, actually. The, the bigger thing is that everybody wants to feel heard, everybody wants to feel acknowledged, and they want to feel like there's somebody who's going to go to bat for them. And they want to see that someone's going to put in the work. So if you're coming to their door and you're leaving handwritten notes two, three, four times to try to let them know that you really care about the issues on their minds, th- then I think that's going to mean something no matter what you look like, Do you no matter where
0: you're from. Any one interactions stick out in your mind along these lines?
1: Oh, geez. There were just so many wonderful interactions uh, canvassing. So so much so that I I went on social media one day and said, everybody, you got to run for office. You just never know who you'll meet.
0: You'll meet the most amazing people. Tell me about someone amazing you met.
1: Uh, There were some folks on Orchard Street who, at the end of a long day, invited me in and uh, offered me water. And that's not so uncommon. uh, But... They were amazing. They told me all about how they'd been testing the pH of all these different bottled waters. <laughs> and they, they were telling me about all their, their different concerns in the ward. You know, uh, policing, really important issue for them. And making sure that we have more accountability over our police force. And, and like we were talking about, more trust, more familiarity built up between
0: the police and the community. You're listening to Steve Winter, the new Alder-elect. In Ward 21, which covers Prospect Hill, New Hallville, and I hadn't realized part of Dixwell too, one of those great gerrymandered New Haven <laughs> awards. He's going to be an independent, even though he's a registered Democrat. And how does that work on the board? Also, you listen to my Dateline, New Haven 103.5 FM, live stream, Newhaveninput.org. How does that work in terms of minority representation on the board? So if you, every committee has to have someone who's not a Democrat if there is someone on the board. So we have 30 Democrats last time, so they had to pretend someone was a Republican, just right. not going to be on boards. Are you and the other de- Independent who was elected, Haji Bay Kha- Shalhoub, are you going to qualify to be that Marty Rep, even though you're a Democrat? Do you get to be on half the committees?
1: I, I think I'm still struggling with what's best to represent the folks in my ward, whether that's trying to uh, take seats on committees that I feel are, are really important, uh, or whether it's being able to caucus with uh, 28 other members of the board and being in on those conversations Church, the as they work, happen. It's done,
0: not in the public light. We think we have democracy. It's completely secret. And the Democrats in a private session, which really should be open to the public under free information law, and they get around it. They talk about what they're really going to do when no one's listening. And then they have a fake pre-public meeting before the board of where where no one asks any question and they claim, you know, this is what's going on tonight. And then without debate, they pass things. So you're saying you might be, do you want to caucus with them? How would that work since you didn't get elected as a Democrat?
1: I've, I've, from the folks I've talked to, they've said, you know, the door the door is open uh, for caucusing with the Democrats. And as a registered Democrat, that I'd be able to do that. Were you still so be I able think, to
0: be the minority representative on those committees? I don't believe you can have it both ways. <laughs> so you would rather be able to go to the caucus than... Uh...
1: I haven't made a final decision on that, but I do think they're, that being in on those conversations as they're occurring is is really important, uh, but I can also understand that a lot of the work gets done in committee. Not everything's happening behind closed doors, mm-hmm. uh, and so the committees also the committee process is also really important. Having a strong voice there.
0: Yeah. So you haven't decided. Haven't decided yet. But have you gotten a legal opinion that you have to make a choice? I haven't gotten. Because the truth is, the board when there are thirty Democrats, they like one year they said Sarah Adelson, you'll be our pretend Republican. You get to be on every committee you want. She's still got the caucus with them, right? Can't they let anyone in the caucus who they want? I I would have to look.
1: I think I have more research to do. Most mostly, I've been having conversations with uh, constituents and other alders about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd have to look into whether yeah whether you could do both.
0: Steve That's Winter turned twenty nine today, <laughs> and it might be getting chocolate moose cake. We'll see. He had some over the weekend. <laughs> You, uh, you brought up police accountability. Now, if I'm not mistaken, one of the issues you've been an activist in New Haven for years, and one of your big issues has been police accountability. Haven't you shown up at those hearings about how we're going to have a civilian review board?
1: I, I did not make the last hearing back in April. I wasn't able to go to that, uh, but have been talking about civilian review board since I was arrested by the New Haven Police in 2010
0: at the raid at the elevated Elevate nightclub and how did that what what why did that lead you to civilian review board what happened that night at elevate and how did that affect your opinion about about uh, public accountability
1: that was a really eye-opening night for me as a young a
0: young white guy what were you doing in town that night
1: uh I was actually hanging out in my dorm room
0: and we were you a Yale student I was a
1: Yale undergrad then I was a senior at Yale mm-hmm. and I got a call that one of my friends had been arrested at this nightclub raid downtown. Oh, okay. So I couldn't believe it. This guy was just the nicest guy. I couldn't believe that he would be arrested for anything. Uh, so I went downtown to try to find out what had happened, uh, and saw him and a few others handcuffed sitting on the curb. And as I approached an officer to try to figure out what had happened, I said, excuse me, I'm trying to find out what happened to my friend. Uh, and was told in not so polite terms that I need to get out of there. And while I was backing up with my hands over my head, a second officer came up behind me and handcuffed me. I didn't even see him coming. Uh and I was charged with disorderly conduct and trespassing.
0: Where were you? On a street? I was in a street. You weren't inside the club.
1: Wasn't in the club. What
0: was the why was the club raided? I forget. They had underage people there?
1: That was the supposed rationale for the club raid. But if you remember that summer, there had been a series of nightclub shootings.
0: Oh, right. And so there was... There was cracked on nightclubs. Yeah, there was a crackdown on nightclub This was the corner of College January. and Crown Street. Because inside, they took everyone's cell phones, which I think was illegal. And they wouldn't let people record it.
1: Yeah, so cell phone, cell phone video was a totally new thing. It seems so commonplace now. But this had just come out. And uh, that's what happened to my friend Zach. He had had his cell phone out. He wasn't videotaping them, but... They told him that he had to put his cell phone down. That, they should go to jail
0: for that. The New Haven police and their approach to cameras, they took our reporter's camera legally, they should go to jail for continually after it's been raised publicly. Now, the the, the cop in charge that night, this the police chief, did have to leave the force when Internal Affairs Investigation realized that in that and one other incident in the same block, he had violated people's rights. But they, they're, they're, they just don't have that issue under control.
1: Yeah, and, th- and at that point, the courts in Connecticut hadn't yet Said whether or not the police could stop someone from surveilling them with a well, camera. But the First Amendment says they can't. Yeah, I think it's. I think, and there's
0: a police policy which they've since rewritten to claim was going to strengthen. They're still violating it.
1: I completely agree. I I don't think they have any business asking someone. So to you just got on.
0: arrested for being there. I got arrested for for asking a question. Yeah. What, what for, was the question?
1: For asking what had happened to my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it. It led to a six-month legal ordeal oh my God. with the city going to court every couple weeks, trying to get these charges dropped. That's what
0: I hate. When, the Trump, when they're getting a Trump charge, like they do a photographer, it takes six or eight months. You just have to keep showing up at court because they're not ready for you and all that you just kind of got to keep
1: going. Got to keep going. What get up early, go end? to court. Uh, in the end, the city agreed uh, to drop the charges if I agreed that I would not file suit against the city. That
0: should be illegal, too. Yeah. You have a right to sue if yep. they violate your rights. Absolutely, and what? But you agreed to it. I just wanted it to be over. Yeah. So therefore, you, someone who's educated, you have resources. You are willing to surrender your constitutional rights because to the New Haven police when they arrested you for no purpose.
1: I felt like I didn't really have a choice. It looked like I'd be going to court forever. And what nothing, is that, how does that make changed.
0: you feel about your black constituents who might not have as many means who were routinely arrested? And often for charges that ended up not being viable, what does that tell you about what they face every day?
1: Exactly, that's exactly it. You know, you've got people being stopped for no reason all the time on trumped up charges. Uh, it it was uh, just hugely eye opening for me to see a police report that was totally contradictory to fact. They lied. Just, just totally, like the most obvious example was that uh, they said that I was trespassing in a busy street. But the streets were closed. You know, They close Crown Street when the nightclubs get out. Mm-hmm. And it's it just right there on paper. Uh, and so I've got police... Did they repe- say
0: you resisted? No. They just said you trespassed.
1: Yeah, and that a disorderly conduct.
0: And what did they say the disorderly conduct was?
1: I don't remember the specifics of that. Because they often
0: throw the interfering disorderly conduct are. Police speak for. We're going to make up whatever we want if we want to arrest you. In too bad, and now you're going to spend six months just having to go to court until you yeah. break down and turn over your constitutional rights.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and in those six months, nothing happened to my case. It wasn't like it had proceeded in any way, which is why I felt like you know what, I just want to put this behind me. If there's a how way do you feel do about
0: it. it now? You gave up your right to sue when you were completely lied about and had you know six months worth of your life given up to showing up in this courthouse. I think the the larger lesson for
1: me wouldn't have been about suing the city and and trying to keep things. No, it's in about court. giving
0: up your right to sue.
1: Well, no, for me the the larger lesson was about how much this happens to people of color and in particular, but people all over our community, mm-hmm. and and how wrong that is, and how if we leave oversight to the police solely to the police, these types of things will continue
0: to happen. So did you get involved in any activism about this issue?
1: Yeah. So that's really where I felt like there was more productive work to be done was not in suing the city, but in coming together with uh, local residents who had had similar experiences, who were fighting the same fight and had been fighting this fight for years uh, and trying to do something about it. And so we held a series of community meetings uh, with students and with members of the local community uh, and we protested. We marched on the police station, uh, and we're able to make some progress that way. At that point, if you wanted to file a complaint against the police in New Haven, you had to go down between 9 and 5 during the work week in person to 1 Union Ave and file a complaint on paper, which is just absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and they did put that complaint process online, and they also sped up the implementation of dashboard cameras. Mm-hmm. They've just now followed through on another one of our demands seven years ago, which was body cameras. Which
0: now the whole movement that wanted body cameras is reexamined it, because body cameras show you what the police see, but your ability to record them is not affected. Yes. Showing what they're doing. Yeah. So so how did you, so now, when did you get involved in wanting to have a civilian review board? How did that happen? That
1: was also one of the things that uh, activists have been pushing for since the mid-90s.
0: So and, then in 2013, we passed a, a, a charter revision that said we have to create a civilian review board and the board of elders has to do it. It was right. the board of majority that asked for that. Right. And yet, four years later, they haven't done it. Yeah. And, and so How do you feel about that?
1: It's shocking. We we should have a civilian review board by now. We should have one that's robust and independent. Is uh, that
0: something you're going to focus on as an alder?
1: That's something that I would like to focus on as an alder. Is that a priority? Absolutely.
0: So why do you think it hasn't happened, given that the Board of Alders majority wanted it to happen, got it passed, and for four years have been unable to pass it?
1: Well, I think there was some confusion about subpoena power. There and, is,
0: because they can't give it subpoena power. People say it's going to be toothless without subpoena power. And we have a Board of Police Commissioners that has subpoena power. That's so true. So some people are saying, why don't we just call them the Charter Revision Commission but change the way it's appointed so that it can more reflect the community.
1: Yeah, and the the... President of the board of alders also has subpoena power, so I think there are ways to uh, work with existing subpoena power.
0: So you maybe would you name the board of alders president to the body and have her subpoena people?
1: That yeah, that would be one approach. Or I think the board could uh, request a subpoena if they look. We have this particular case. We are we are missing testimony from this person. We need you, whoever it is that they decide to be. The go-to person with subpoena power to bring this person in and compel them to testify.
0: So you'd have to hope for the cooperation of the board president. See, really. Yes. Is that what you're looking to do? Go ahead and, and, and write something in there about making use of the board president's police uh, subpoena power.
1: I know that some of the activists who are working on this are are thinking along those lines, whether it's the board president or another official with subpoena
0: power. How as an alder would you make this happen? And do you feel it needs to have subpoena power
1: i I do feel it needs to have subpoena power, yeah, why is that uh, in other cities that there's no city really that has a perfect civilian review board every every city has run into issues in one way or another, but subpoena power has shown to give boards real teeth in trying to resolve uh, these types of cases and get testimony when it's needed, uh, same with being able to make. Uh, recommendations based on the facts that have been collected. So, disciplinary recommendations for officers. So, Newark, for example, is able to discipline an officer, and in the absence of a factual error, uh, they can proceed with the recommended
0: discipline. What does is, that mean in absence of a factual error?
1: Well, if let's say the police commissioner says, "Actually, we you know we review these facts and I th- we think that you've gotten something wrong in the fact finding," then we we won't proceed with the recommended discipline because we feel like there was actually a pro- an error okay. in fact finding. Yeah.
0: So are you looking to give the civilian reviewer board power to discipline or just power to recommend discipline?
1: I, I think we need to have a conversation about both. But I think that I think the model that that Newark set up seems to be a good one. Uh, they, they need to be able to like you said, have teeth other, otherwise, the so have subpo- culture of,
0: subpoena people and then make recommendations of discipline to the full board of police commissioners, which can turn it down if there are factual errors in the reasoning? Right. What, um, how are you going to make this happen as a freshman older, one of 30?
1: Well, we need, you need 16 to get anything passed, right? <laughs> and you need to get buy-in from leadership. But I do think that there are a number of folks who are, are really interested in seeing this happen. And, and our, of course, our
0: share, share the frustration that it hasn't happened. And when you're a freshman lawmaker, you have to come in with some humility. So you're coming in there where people who very sincerely wanted this to happen were unable to. I mean, it's really a colossal failure of this board majority to go, take all the trouble to go to the public, to ask for power to do this thing to say they're going to do, and four years later not even be able to pass it into law. So why would you be able to do it when, say, Jessica Holmes, who was very sincere about it, couldn't do it? I don't,
1: I don't want to make this about me or about any particular alder, there are ten ten new board members this year, so a whole wow. one one third of the board, which did not say they're all completely new, like me. You know, you've got Ab- Abby Roth coming back, uh, and uh, but you have you have a whole bunch of new alders coming in, new energy, uh, new ideas, new approaches, and so I'm hopeful that with that new cadre of folks, that there's an opportunity to push something like this through. I think it's it's been long enough.
0: All right, and you're listening just right enough that steve winter the new alder elect in ward 21 he ran as an independent he's a registered democrat and he's uh talking to us on dateline new haven and wnhhfm your home for community radio at 103.5 fm live streamed at new haven independent so steve where'd you grow up rhode island where town
1: uh providence and then uh my parents moved to providence i moved to a town called tiverton
0: so providence must have given you a feel new haven kind of right
1: yeah, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. That like Providence and New Haven are like like bizarro brother sister yeah, cities. Yeah, I get that feeling. Yeah, so like there's more
0: rivers right in the center there. <laughs>
1: there's there's some things that feel so similar, and there's some things that feel so different. Like there are no Portuguese, very few Portuguese people yeah. uh, in New Haven, whereas Providence has this huge Portuguese spot.
0: Yeah, me. I'm going to get close to the mic. Oh but. sure. And uh, so then you came to Yale to study what?
1: I ended up studying philosophy at Yale.
0: And uh, how does something you learned in philosophy going to be put into practice as an alder?
1: Uh, I studied ethics. So uh, <laughs> in terms of trying to make, make sound decisions, uh, things that are based in what's right and what's wrong, things that are arrived at through democratic consensus, these are all things that I've studied or, or lived or practiced uh, Yeah, as a, as a student of philosophy and then uh, later living uh, cooperatively in a cooperative home. So thing, and I want to get to that. Yeah. So then
0: after college, you went to Colorado. What brought you out there?
1: My wife had ovarian cancer. Oh. Uh, diagnosis at 22. Oh, my goodness. And,
0: and what? The, how old were you when you got married?
1: Uh, well, we were actually legally married in, in March here in New Haven uh, at City Hall. Uh, but we had a, a marriage ceremony with our family the summer before.
0: So you got married out of college?
1: Uh, we got married... In the summer of last year, so summer of 2016.
0: Before you graduated? Uh, oh, no, after, 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 after graduation. graduation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then she had ovarian cancer, but she survived.
1: She did, yeah.
0: But what brought you to Colorado for that? Is that where she's from?
1: Her family's in, in so Denver in the mountains.
0: And she, she made it. She made it, How's yeah. How's she doing now?
1: She's doing pretty well. You know, there's still issues to deal with, and we go in for regular scans, but the physician that we see at the hospital here in New Haven is phenomenal. He's the first physician who not only has the medical chops but has the the bedside manner to really make you feel like he cares and he gets it.
0: It's a big thing to go through in your twenties. It is your absolutely. Test of marriage <laughs> yeah
1: well we we weren't married at that point, but uh, we fell very quickly in love um, and New Haven was a big part of that. We met at the really had our first meeting at the Folk Festival. Eli Whitney at, at Edgerton Park, yeah. Uh, was she a yes student too? She was, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, after the wedding celebration that we had last summer in Rhode Island, we we honeymooned here in New Haven. We just spent a week hanging out in New Haven, going to going to restaurants, relaxing, going to the beaches in West Haven. Uh, it was just a wonderful week. And so, what
0: brought you back to New Haven?
1: Uh, my wife came back here for a fellowship. Uh, at the forestry school and the Jackson Institute for global affairs
0: wow yeah so and in Colorado you got involved in environmental activism correct and that, co-op housing yeah so tell if, me about that I can't stand co-op housing I believe I love it in theory and I hate the idea of like having to worry about everyone's dishes and having no privacy <laughs> and arguing over the electricity
1: uh I, I think I'll, yeah there's there's things to love and there are things that are challenging about living cooperatively uh, but the community and the food were huge benefits of it. Was this in Colorado? This was in Colorado, yeah. We, we found that uh, when we moved to Boulder as a place for Emily to heal, that the only place we, we could really afford it was to live with a, a lot of other people, which was fine for us. We enjoyed that. But uh, it was also illegal. Boulder has these stringent occupancy limits. Ah. You can't have more than three or four unrelated people sharing a single-family dwelling in Boulder. Uh, so we thought, you know what, as long as we're good neighbors, that that won't be an issue. And for years, it wasn't. Uh, and over those years, the house grew from a group of people living together into an organized cooperative with weekly meetings, uh, shared meals, five nights a week, uh, a regular Shabbat dinners
0: on there Friday night. a lot of Jews there?
1: Uh, Emily and I are both Jewish. And
0: occasionally we- I love Shabbat dinner. That's yeah. That's the best part of the week yeah it's like magic
1: (laughs) it 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 really was magical that in
0: and non-jewish people love to be part of it
1: yeah so we we would have these shabbat potlucks uh every week or every other week for years and it's just amazing that if you set aside time for togetherness with people and everyone brings some food that it's always just the most wonderful experience um And that was something that that community really made possible. So on the plus side, outside of the, like you said, the the meetings and the bickering and bringing new people in people leaving.
0: (laughs) I believe in democracy. It's just a lot of work. (laughs) Democracy is an endless meeting. But then they tried to boot you guys under the code in Boulder. Well, so then we,
1: we decided we wanted to get active on this issue. It really wasn't fair that uh, people were having to leave Boulder. They were getting kicked out of their homes because, uh, they had more than three or four related people living together. Uh, and one of the other, we, we so we tried to go after the occupancy limits broadly. That didn't work. Uh, we then tried to go after it for seniors. Okay, let seniors live in larger groups. That didn't work. And so uh, then we decided to try to advocate for a carve-out for cooperatives. So for organized groups of people who are sharing their bills, sharing meals, uh, even sharing vehicles, Uh why, why can't they live together? And ultimately ended up getting an ordinance passed that would allow for wow. 12 people to live in areas where, up to 12 people to live in areas where they're formerly were only allowed you to you worked free. in that, so
0: you saw how political activism could affect that.
1: A- absolutely, yeah. They keep housing affordable. Yeah, keep, keep it one of the few places in the city of Boulder uh, where housing's affordable, where the, the median home is more than a million dollars.
0: Wow, so uh, it's all like the St. Ronan size. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, uh, so that brings me that uh, in New Haven, we have a, a, we've had a long running call like that, the Roachdale Cooperative on Elm Street. But th- what your experience points to me is more toward two other issues that you'll be dealing with as an alder. There's a hearing going on next week about um, affordable housing and about whether to have a moratorium on single room occupancy and whether to make it easier in this city to let unrelated people live together more affordably in a central area any thoughts on that
1: uh, i i yeah i think what what we can do to provide a diversity of housing options for folks like you said you don't want to live in a cooperative but, but maybe someone like me does we want to make sure that those affordable housing options and housing options more broadly are available to folks all over the city even in areas like downtown
0: and uh the other big issue is housing cooperatives more formally so In Your Ward is one of the great experiments in housing cooperatives in the middle of the 20th century. The federal government had the 221D3 program where a not-for-profit could sponsor a new affordable housing complex for working class people. And they would form a tenants group, or not, not tenants, they would own it after 30 years after paying off the mortgage. And we had them all over the city. And in the last decade, they've all fallen apart except for one or two. The most heartbreaking one was the dry co-ops where they were one mortgage payment away. But the councils all fought. They didn't invest in the place. There was also deferred maintenance. There were scams. So almost all of them are gone. But in your ward, in the gerrymandered Little Dixwell Party Award, is Florence Virtue Homes. That was one of those cooperatives. And it's still going pretty strong, isn't it?
1: That's right. Yeah, Florence Virtue is, is still going strong. Uh, and I think that, yeah, it remains to
0: be seen. Why with do you the think next... that worked and others didn't?
1: I don't know if I have any strong insights into why Florence Virtue survived when others didn't. Tony Harp
0: t- thinks it's the strength of tenants' council. There's been some women there, that yeah. place, actually, who just take it very seriously and are very strict about running that place well.
1: I I think that there's exactly that. That would be the one thing I'd point to is there's uh, a strong a strong group of stakeholders who have stuck around and have kept have called it home for decades. Uh, some who've been there since since. The get-go or near the get-go, and want to see it through, uh, and want to see what Florence Virtue can become in its in its next chapter, and re- really refuse to give up on it. Uh, and those were the folks who who fought for fundings to get funding to get the uh, new roofs put on and and new maintenance. Uh, and so, th- yeah, they've they've also seen what's possible by by stepping up. Uh, And pushing the city and pushing the city. And they're in
0: one of those borders that could easily be gentrified by Yale. Yale's buying up Goff Street leading right up to them now. I mean, they've gone down Dixwell Avenue, which isn't necessarily all bad. I'm just saying they've done it, you know, and and upscaled it. And and they want to hold on to that near downtown family community affordable. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And, yeah, and the the cooperative structure, you know, potentially provides a way for them to... Continue doing that.
0: Steve Winter, Alder-Elect, Board 21, here on Dateline New Haven and WNHH. We've got a few minutes left. Steve, what do you think about the role of the Unite Here Yale unions on the Board of Alders? They control a majority. Uh, Some people say it's been a great experiment how in one city labor can bring grassroots concerns and leadership to the legislative body to make it stronger and challenge powerful institutions in town They've been criticized in other quarters for pursuing a narrow agenda that just involves their fights with Yale not always being upfront about what they're really arguing about when they hold up development projects and not being open with the public about what they're doing. The response back is that a labor agenda actually benefits everyone because higher wages at the biggest employer in town means everybody else's income can gradually go up. What is your take on their role in politics?
1: Well, so before we get to that, since it sounds like we're getting close to the end here, on affordable housing, I think the other, the other big issue in the ward is this 201 munson development
0: right and, and that's that's a former factory site the old winchester plant yep. near where henry and munson diverge at the borderline of dixon to hallville they want to bring 385 market rate and uh apartments there
1: that's right and they're they're talking about trying to get state some funding from the state which i think will be tough to try to do 10 percent affordable right uh,
0: but you spoke up in favor of this project, as did the person you ran against, Rodney Williams, as did the former Alder, Brendy Foskey Hill.
1: Yeah. So w- when I spoke up at the hearing, what I was trying to communicate is that this this site, I think everybody wants to see a change to a residential zone, and I think the question that remains is, you know, which zone is most appropriate for the neighborhood, and, and what does a development look like that serves both the city and the neighborhood? Uh, and so I think that we still need to get more feedback from the public about what exactly that looks like uh, to make sure that their concerns addressed, in- including, you know, how can we get more affordable units on this, on this property? It is going to be hard getting uh, state money for anything these days. Yeah. Um, are there other, are there other avenues to affordability? Uh, and or if the
0: developer is going to make enough, can he eat 10% of it?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh,
0: Might be the easiest units to rent.
1: It, yeah, exactly. So, trying to make sure that the development is is and also integrated into the surrounding community rather than you know, really gated off from it, which I think is a, a, a danger of
0: unite here. What do you think about the role they're playing on the board boardholders?
1: I I think, like you said, the unions have a, a strong role in playing and uh, supporting the, the whole economy in a lot of ways, uh, and that the unions the unions have helped I think bring a lot of stronger diversity of voices to city hall. Uh, but at the same time, there is a real hunger in New Haven for more openness and transparency in the decision-making process. Uh, and so, you know, on uh, to on Munson, I, I really want to hear more from my neighbors about that. And so we're having a an open public meeting uh, at Verrick Church at one thirty p.m. this Saturday to talk about you know, here's what the public process for the zone change looks like. That's really the re- the remaining thing that the developers need in order to move ahead with the project. Uh, and here is how the public can participate in that process and what the different zones might look like in addressing some of the neighborhood concerns that have come up as we've talked to folks and and as I've knocked on doors about this issue in the last week. Uh, so people want to see that transparency and they want it. They want to know that uh, if if the Board of Alders or if a committee is getting involved in something, that they're doing it uh, in good faith, and like you said, not because of a contract negotiation that's going on somewhere else.
0: Well, mm-hmm. thanks for joining us. Steve, I wanted to ask you two last questions. talked about the Dewana video in 2010 when I first met you. You were the first wave of video trackers That's well, for politicians to go s- against an opponent and catch them on video. I was, I was second, second wave. Okay, who was the first wave? I think there was a wave in 08. Okay, so yeah. I was having lunch at the Old Brew Cafe with Dan Malloy, the governor. Yeah. You work for Ned Lamont, who's running against them. You came in and started videoing us while we were interviewing, and then we turned the video on you and asking how you felt about that. And I thought you were great. You were very poised <laughs> standing up to this guy who's about to become governor and kind of held your ground. You were very polite. Any thoughts on that episode and the role of video trackers?
1: I've always thought that the governor and I have a, a really close relationship and that we developed a mutual respect for one another you can say whatever you want about him but he's a really hard working man and he was doing 12 hour days, seven days a week, going to every festival, every event uh, every gathering, the Polish American Club, the Jamaican Festival, the Puerto Rican Festival and I think after a few weeks of that he realized, oh wow this guy's going to be right there with me in the hot, hot hot, humid heat of the summer in a suit, so we might as well just try to get along Um, I think that the prevalence of mobile phones with video has changed really that. changed the yeah. whole nature of they don't political need, they reporting. They don't
0: need young Steve Winter anymore. Everyone's got the phone out. E-
1: exactly. Who, it's on who, caught Mitt, of... who caught Mitt Romney talking about the what is it, 48%? Or
0: Obama with the guns and uh, right. religion. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Just somebody with their cell phones.
0: Yeah, and uh, millennials, role of millennials. Harold Dean says the baby boomers got to step aside and let a new generation take leadership. Is that part of what you're about?
1: Absolutely. I think young people have a huge role in in coming out coming out to these public hearings really. It's it's great that folks are saying they wanna vote. It's great that they're volunteering with campaigns, but we need folks getting involved municipal level at public hearings, coming out, making their voices heard. They can make a huge impact. You know, there were only less than five hundred people voted in our ward. So your vote on a local level has an outsized impact on those conversations.
0: Well, thank you for showing up to WNHH and I hope you come back. I hope yeah. you get to make a big impact, Steve Winter on your first term as an alder. and An independently for like an alder, Ward 21. Appreciate it. Hope you get a great birthday dessert tonight. <laughs> and um, I'm going to thank you for joining us. Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing financial support. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing. I wish I knew how it Would feel to be free from the group CD, a plea for peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.